When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with hosts Sammy Sage I'm having a relationship with my pizza. and Aileen Drexler. I'm going to make you girls a hump day treat. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I'm on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello, and welcome back to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy. And I'm Eileen. And today we are joined by Dr. Sandra Gelbard. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician who formerly served as the chief medical officer of the Endometriosis Foundation of America, which is the topic we are going to be focusing on today. Welcome, Dr. Gelbard. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to talk about this topic. I feel like a lot of people write in about it. We have friends who have an endometriosis, and we've never like really had a whole episode about this. So thank you so much for your time. So can you can we start off and maybe share why did you choose this as your specialty, or how did, can you tell us about yourself a little bit? So I am a board certified internal medicine doctor. I did a lot of research in inflammation. I spent five years doing basic research in a lab on cholesterol and inflammation. And that, along with the fact um, I had personal experience with endometriosis, and I also had a very dear friend who suffered way more than I did, um, had a lot of problems getting pregnant. I went through a lot of IVFs with her. Ultimately, things turned out very well, but it took seven IVF cycles and a surgery to figure out she even had endometriosis, which sheds a lot of light on the real issue that on average, it takes approximately 10 years to make this diagnosis. They don't teach it in medical school. Um, it's not really at the forefront of anyone, any clinician's minds when they're seeing young girls. It often um, presents in junior high school with very painful, painful, crippling periods. And so I got involved because I had some women that I that were being misdiagnosed with the commonly misdiagnosed uh, conditions like IBS, psychiatric disorders, um, other GI disorders, and it turned out to be endometriosis. So I had to roll up my sleeves and really dig in deep. And I had already had this in my background, so it even motivated me more. Um, and then I got very involved with the Endometriosis Foundation of America, and um, 
became the chair of the big annual gala with Subrata Day, uh, the Blossom Ball, kind of really gained a lot of attention um, nationally in a lot of publications and got to put endometriosis on the front, front, front and center, which was really helpful. So how does endometriosis typically present or are there a few ways that it typically presents just because I think there, there's a lot of confusion about exactly what the condition is? Right. Okay. So let me just tell you what the condition is because so many people don't really understand that. The tissue that normally lines your uterus grows outside your uterus, period, the end. It doesn't belong there. The body doesn't know how to handle it. So it thickens, breaks down, and bleeds with each menstrual cycle. But because the tissue has no way to leave the body, it becomes trapped. And so it can involve the ovaries. It can involve um, different adhesions throughout the pelvic. It's usually in the pelvic area, but it can actually even grow outside the pelvis. I've seen patients with endometriosis in the lung in the diaphragm. Yeah, it's incredibly painful. And I always say it's like having little fires pop up throughout the body that you can't put out. And so unless you have someone really looking for it, it really flies under the radar. And the questions I always ask, which are my screening questions, do you have normal periods? Do you have pain with sex? And do you have pain with bowel movements. If you have pain with sex and bowel movements, you know, any clinician there, there, that should be their lights go off like, huh, you know, and, and that really brings into question endometriosis. So can you describe like what the pain exactly is? Like if someone has it in sort of like an a unique spot, like you said, it's been in the lung and it's kind of like putting out fires. Like what is, what is the actual feeling that patients are describing to you? Well, it could just be like, you know, period cramps, like intense, intense cramping. You can vomit, you can be incredibly nauseous, you can have heavy periods. It's just that type of, you know, period cramp that's like crippling though. I didn't know that I had any issue, but I would always automatically, I was a very good student and I just told all my teachers and I wasn't very shy. I would be like, you know, I'm going to be out the first two days of my period every month. So you should just know that. And I would, I would just say, oh, my period's here. I'm staying in bed all day because I was in so much pain. And the only thing that would help me, I mean, I was lucky Advil would really help me. Some women, though, need a lot more than that. And Advil doesn't even touch them. Advil for me was like magic. Really? Yeah, I had a friend that like when we were teenagers, she needed like to be prescribed like codeine or something like that to even remotely touch the pain that she was going in. It was like crazy. A lot of people we're taking that women take, you know, Percocet, they take the, you know, heavy duty opioids, and then that leads to another problem. Right. But um, like Toradol and the NSAID family happen to work best on the uterus. So not better than the opioids. But anyway, yeah, right. What is the distinction between endometriosis and PCOS? Are they at all related? Different? PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome, 
It can also cause infertility, usually has issues with high testosterone levels and you get excess hair growth, you get acne, you, um, the periods are abnormal, um, often not nearly as painful as endometriosis. Um, if you do an ultrasound, you see a lot of cysts covering the ovaries, although that's no longer a criteria to make the diagnosis. Pretty easily, all my patients are controlled fairly easily with, um, you know, you give birth control pills, you give metformin or spirolactone, and it's fine. It's much more easily treatable than endometriosis, and it's much more easily diagnosed. So you said that um, endo, you have tissue that grows outside of the uterus. So how come people have infertility because of that? Like, how, do, how does endo affect your fertility? So this, these endometrial cells go on fire, and they're fully inflamed. So they can wreak havoc in your pelvis with anything they come in contact with, which then results in scarring. So it's like every month that you have these flares, you're scarring up your pelvis. That's, you know, the cause of the infertility. Also the periods, sometimes they're not ovulating properly. Um, so it's really a combination of things. That makes a lot of sense. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Is there, so after you get diagnosed, then what, what are you, what are sort of the results of that? Like, does it always have to result in surgery or are there other ways to treat it? So one of the, best things we have are birth control pills. And um, there was some sort of movement a couple of years ago to not cover those for endometriosis. And luckily that got overturned by a lot of advocates because when you think about the poor single mom working in the Bronx or where underserved areas and all she can get is a birth control pill and now she's not even covered. I mean, that is just beyond heartbreaking. So birth control pills often do really, really help. So that is a nice little tool that we have to fight uh, this horrendous disease. Um, there are cases that require surgery, and there are not that many, you know, surgeons dedicated to endometriosis surgeries, which is problematic. And unfortunately, the way to make the definitive diagnosis is through surgery. So you actually open up the patient and you look in the pelvis and you see all the scarring and you can just see what looks like endometriosis lesions. 
you in the past they used to laser them out that's been shown to be not the right way to do it they actually have to be cut out you send them to pathology they look under the microscope and they say aha this actually is endometriosis so that is the gold standard clearly you don't just open up all these millions of women and do that um and only a very small percentage of women are actually lucky enough who need it to get the surgery that's a real luxury. I mean, that is really the um, gold standard for people who are suffering tremendously, who fail the birth control pills. You know, leading a very anti-inflammatory life is super important. The more, you know, uh, low sugar, low carbohydrate, low processed food diet you have, it really sets you up for, with more of a fighting chance to avoid these flares. Um, low stress, there's you know pelvic physical therapy now, um, acupuncture, these are all modalities that help women who suffer from endometriosis. Um, so why does it take so long to diagnose? Do you think that there's lots of women out there who are, have endometriosis and don't, don't know that they have it? Millions. You know, no one even mentioned it to me. And I'm embarrassed that I never thought of it. And I was going through it. I mean, so. So why do you think it takes that long? Like, why do you think it's so hard to diagnose? I think talking about vaginas and uteruses and periods is like not the most comfortable thing for a lot of people. And it also, there's a lot of overlap with the symptoms with other diseases, like you can get constipation, diarrhea, and then you get abdominal pain and they're like, oh, you have inflammatory bowel disease. Then they start putting you on really heavy hitter medications. Like I've had women come in here and they're on like immunosuppressant agents because they have, quote, IBS, but they have nothing even remotely like IBS. It's, you know, just endometriosis. So I think it's a combination. I think people don't feel so comfortable talking about it. I think that there's not enough public awareness about it. And then third, there's a lot of overlap. So if it's not really on your radar, if you don't ask those screening questions, then you miss it. Do you feel like gynecologists are like armed with the information or like they know to look out for it? Because like, that's a place where you can talk about that kind of stuff. One thing I worked, what we did a lot of work on was getting presentations in junior high schools in the health field, because really you should have every year as a public service to every junior high school, the signs and symptoms. So that little girls, they, it's on their radar. You're your best advocate. I don't care how great your doctor is as a human being, you as the patient, are your own best advocate. So educating the public about this is numero uno. And I think little girls, you know, that's where it all begins. I have a question just going back to, to surgeries. Let's say you are able to get a surgery, you know, in your, in your thirties or something. And what, is there anything that can stop it from coming back or do you potentially have to get surgery again? Correct. So like it could just be sort of a lifetime of maintenance surgeries until menopause. If you can ride it out, it will burn out. Estrogen stimulates it. So as you lose your estrogen, as you get older, it gets less painful, usually. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So speaking of surgeries, I know that you were Lena Dunham's internist, and she was very vocal about her hysterectomy. Is that something that could be a potential surgery due to endo? Could you like share a little bit about that? Yes, it can. And even in that situation, it's not a guarantee that the pain will go away. It was not something I took very lightly. You have to really make the decision together. And, um, you know, you have to really be convinced the patient understands what is entailed in that. And you have to make it fully clear that it's not a guarantee. You may have the same exact pain afterwards. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. Because the tissue could be somewhere else in addition. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's not a guarantee. And what I always, not that I've been involved with that many cases where my young women have gotten hysterectomies, but when they do, you always want to have the conversation about the ovaries and the eggs, either freezing the eggs or keeping the ovaries in just in case down the line you want to have children. Oh, okay. So that, okay, so you can still have children after you just, you can't, you, you're not the one to carry, right? So it really requires like early diagnosis and a very proactive approach to like that you have to be really on top of this kind of your whole life. It requires an early diagnosis to avoid the emotional pain of not getting better and not really hanging your hat on any concrete diagnosis that a doctor gives you such that your friends and family start to roll their eyes and they almost stop believing. They wonder if this is all in your head, if it's psychiatric, if you know they, they lose understanding about you missing last minute a, an obligation, a family event, a birthday, whatever it might be, and you feel very isolated and alone. And I've seen that in my young women a lot. So giving them the diagnosis early on from an emotional point of view, I think is a lifesaver. Right. I was going to ask, do you, do you hear that a lot, that that your patients, loved ones might believe that what they're experiencing is in their heads? All the time. And then they go, they get referred to psychiatrists, then they get put on anti-anxiety meds because they're anxious about getting the pain. Some of them have like post-traumatic stress disorder, like, oh, I feel okay now, but I can't plan anything because it could hit any time. And they're panicked about when the pain, how bad it will be the next time around. So there's a whole emotional psychiatric side to this disease. Right. Totally. It's like a little bit like gaslighting from just kind of everything until you do have a a solid diagnosis. Yeah. And imagine these young women who are in relationships and like... They just, not only are they not in the mood to have sex, but they can't really have sex. It's like so painful and their partners have to understand. And if they don't have a diagnosis that their partner can actually sit and Google and read about, they're like, oh, well, you're just, you know, not really, you know, available to me. So I'm going to hit the road. Right. This happens. This episode is brought to you by Newly. 
Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life, so it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, Newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun, but the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local Local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Are there any specific, you know, diet or exercise regimens or supplement regimens that are anything that you would recommend for people who do have endometriosis on top of birth control? Yes. So I always say that I would recommend that everyone be on a vitamin D, a probiotic, and either a fish oil supplement or be eating enough fish a week. Those are the three that really tend to lower your inflammation. I think stretching, you know, exercising daily is super important. And then, as I said, diet-wise, sugar is toxic. Carbohydrates are just a few steps away from being converted to sugar. Processed foods, when you eat them, you know, I always say nothing out of a bag. 
Because when you eat that, your body doesn't really know how to break that down. And you form all these free radicals that irritate cells and make inflammation higher. So anything that lowers inflammation will really help the endometriosis patient. So that's exercise, you know, stress relievers like meditation, acupuncture, exercising 45 minutes a day, um, and the supplements, um, and good sleep. I mean, if it's possible, eight hours of sleep a night. <laughs> Just on inflammation really quick, like, can you describe what that is? Like, wh what is actually happening in your body? Like, what is inflamed? So when something is inflamed, it's basically, I mean, irritated, and it's a more vulnerable environment for problems. So inflammation is the cornerstone of all disease processes, cancer, heart disease, stroke, dementia, everything, autoimmune diseases. So you, just as a human being, you always want to keep your inflammation low. When I do my annual physicals every year, I do in the blood work, I check six inflammatory markers every single year and I give an inflammatory score to my patients. And so I think inflammation is, I can't say enough about how important it is. Um, when something's inflamed, it's a more vulnerable environment across the board. So there's irritation, there's um, different cells that get called in to amplify the inflammation. And it's like a positive cycle. So you need to really quiet things down. And we don't know everything that quiets inflammation down at this point. We don't have, it's, it's not like an aspirin. People say, oh, I'm, I'm going to take an aspirin. I'll take an Advil. That doesn't, that doesn't quell inflammation. So we're still learning. I've seen like on Instagram a lot of the time people kind of go to inflammation as like the first thing. Oh, you must be inflamed. Things are inflamed, you know, in certain areas. How do you actually know if you are experiencing inflammation in your body versus sort of like, what are the signs, true signs of that? Well, there are often no signs. So oh, that's okay. why, I mean, it happens at a microscopic level. So that's why, you know, in my practice model, I always check the markers. And often mm -hmm. people have no idea. They're like, oh, I'm inflamed. I didn't know. Now, you could know you're inflamed if you have a chronic infection. When you have, you ever see the commercials where you have, the, the connection between bleeding gums, your teeth health, that's through inflammation. Because they're saying if your gums are permanently inflamed, like you brush them and they bleed, it means you have a level of inflammation. And that does not exist in a closed you know, capsule. It's continuous with all your other cells, even the ones that circulate through your heart. So that's that connection because the inflammatory meteor, mediators that exist for gum disease then go throughout your whole body. Yeah. When I was pregnant, my gums were like crazy inflamed. I've never see, felt anything like it in my life. And it just completely went away when I was no longer pregnant. So you mentioned markers. Can you kind of share what those are? Yeah, but they're probably going to sound like a different language. LPPLA2 activity. TMAO, fasting insulin, homocysteine, ESR, and C-reactive protein. Is this through blood test? Correct. 
Okay. So you mentioned resting insulin. So let's say someone has like high resting in- insulin, fasting insulin, sorry. What is, does that mean they are more likely to be inflamed or less likely to be inflamed? I always tell my patients two to 19 is a normal level, but if I, if you want to be really proactive, keep it under 4.0. Can you be inflamed only in certain areas of your body? You can, but if the inflammation is enough, you can, uh, you will spread those mediators throughout your whole body. So the whole body sees it. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of things do you feel? Is it like pain or do you just feel tired? Like what, how does it, um, show itself? Often you feel absolutely nothing. If you're Mm -hmm. inflamed in one part of your body due to an infection, then you'll feel pain from that infection. Usually a more discreet type of situation that you're not really aware of. Right. I think I've definitely felt like inflammation in my knees. Like if you over, over, if I overdo it on my knee or something with workouts or whatever, I, I know that well, some inflammation is good. When you work out, you are inflaming your muscles. So I don't know if you've heard this drug metformin. A lot of people have been on it to either lose weight or they have sugar problems, but it's taken a turn where people, especially uh, in the day and age of COVID, they like it because it's very anti-inflammatory. So what's interesting is they found that those people don't really build muscle as easily anymore. And the reason is because you're blocking the inflammation, so you don't get the chance to re- you don't send the signals to rebuild and strengthen the muscle, you know. And that that this is you know fairly hot off the press, so the jury is still out on like what what will come of that. Right, that's very interesting. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well. Good thing Instacart shoppers are just as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They're milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash betches. I have a question about that may be semi-unrelated. A few weeks ago, we had um, an interview with a woman who had essentially self-diagnosed herself with fibroids, and she went to the doctor, and she ultimately had like a huge fibroid in in her uterus, and she got it taken out. She had discovered had sort of been the underlying problem to a lot of her health conditions over the years. Are fibroids somewhat of a similar conversation? I know they're obviously medically not the same, but in terms of, you know, this is sort of this under misunderstood, underdiagnosed condition that affects a lot of the same functions. So fibroids affect millions and millions of women. They are also estrogen dependent, but they are growths off the uterus into, into usually the, um, the canal of the, the uterus. They are not cancerous and they cause heavy bleeding during your periods. So they do, they are one of the top reasons in this country for hysterectomies because some women bleed so much that they become anemic. And the only way to stop bleeding is to remove the fibroids. But otherwise, you just leave them alone. They're usually never painful unless they get so big. I mean, I've seen, I once saw a a fibroid that was like a grapefruit. And this person had that removed and it was like the belly came down and she felt more light on her feet because she was. And like, you know, but that's like not the usual. Most people, many, many women have fibroids and you just forget about them. And once again, once you go through menopause, they just disappear. I guess maybe last question. What are some ways that we could support a friend or family member going through, just to bring it back to endometriosis, going through endo or that kind of pain? Just be understanding. You know, I think this last minute dropout from life is really hard to take for a lot of people because it affects other people your plans, your life, when you have a friend who just drops out. And I think being understanding in that regard, you know, talking about endometriosis, just being sympathetic, showing that you understand. I think that these young women, when they are made to feel it's all in their head, it's just really, it just adds such insult to injury. And having a friend who really supports them and understands and shows sympathy is would be incredibly helpful. And what kind of doctor do you think that they should like if they can't see you, let's say, what who who should they go to? They should go to their gynecologist mm-hmm. and they should use the terminology that they're reading about and say, you know, if they're not asked, I'm having abnormal periods. I'm having crippling pain with my periods. I'm having pain with sex. I'm having pain with bowel. And like, you know, say, what do you think? I even had a patient who said to her gynecologist, 
you know, we never talked about endometriosis. What do you think about that as a possibility? And they brought it up. So you be your own advocate and just, you know, be well educated. And what is an abnormal period? Like, are you looking at the different, like, is it just the length is different or the time between the cycle? Yeah. So like a normal period is about 28 days. If you're like 35, that's not normal. And if you're really bleeding very heavy, you know, that's also not normal. I think that's helpful to know because I feel like a lot of people like experience things and they're not sure what is or isn't abnormal, even pain, because they haven't experienced the uh, not pain. So they don't know if it's normal and like asking a friend like, like, by the way, you know, that's that's scary, like you said. So, um, well, it's like subjective. Right. Like it's how, subjective. how bad are your cramps? Like, like you might have a different feeling of what bad is. And it's just, right. yeah. It's definitely hard. But thank you so much for, you know, spending the time to talk with us today. I th- I'm hoping that somebody who's listening might have their ears perk up and be like, let me talk to my doctor about this to, uh, next time I go. And that's the goal. So thank you again. And where if people, are you accepting patients? <laughs> where can people <laughs> find you? Or- I am underwater right now. But, um, you know, if there's ever a question, someone can always email me. Okay, that's great. And that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. We're going to be back this coming Thursday to answer your dear DST questions. So be sure to email them, dst at betches.com. And thank you, Dr. Sandra Gelbard. And we're always with you through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.